I'm Taryn Ward. And I'm Stephen Jones. And this is Breaking the Feed, social media beyond the headlines. We're taking a closer look at the core issues around social media, including the existing social media landscape, to better understand the role social media plays in our lives and in society. By thinking about where social media started and why, and thinking about how it's changed and why, we're better placed to consider which of these changes have been for the better and for whom. We hope to appreciate the current landscape and anticipate the decisions regulators, big social, and consumers are likely to make moving forward more fully. But we'll save any future speculation for another episode. Over the past few episodes, we've looked at the early days of online social networks, starting with the earliest online social networks and working our way through social media after smartphones. Today, we'll look at how TikTok changed social media and what we know so far about how it's changed our lives more generally. As always, we'll start with a question. How has TikTok changed the social media landscape? With two secondary questions. Are these changes consistent with the early goals of online social networks? And what does it mean for future online and in-person social networks and communities? These are big questions, and undoubtedly, we've bitten off more than we can chew. But let's start with a quick reminder and an admission. Early online social networks were designed to better connect us in new ways. As we've traced the history of social media over the past few episodes, we've seen that some platforms were designed to do this more than others, and some were actually used to do this more than others. We don't have a crystal ball. There's a lot of great work being done right now in terms of better understanding how TikTok has impacted our lives, but no one knows for sure how this will play out over time. We can only use what we know to make an informed guess based on what we know about previous social networks and what we've seen so far. When we think about how TikTok has changed social media, we need to think about three core things. One, how has TikTok changed social media for consumers and brands? Two, as a result, how has TikTok changed social media for other social media platforms? And three, how TikTok changed social media for regulators? Steve. First question is always, how has TikTok changed social media for consumers and brands? I mean, I think the first question is, is TikTok really a social network? And and, and if not, what is it? I mean, it's, it's, um, it's a video hosting service, right? I mean, users can create videos that are edited in, in various ways. And, you know, because of the, the origin of the platform, which was really sort of like these music clips, it, those those videos are often backed by um, by music, and we've seen that that has huge impact on the on the music industry. Just these clips can become TikTok famous and therefore commercially <laughs> successful just because they're on the platform, and the, and and the algorithm recommends the content based on you know the the activity that you've had and the things that you've liked. And um, I, I think you know my my daughter, who's a much bigger tiktok user than me says that the, the comments are often where a lot of the action is and we're reading the comments to the the the, the, the videos are, are really important but it is quite interactive if we think about what you just said about where the origin of social media started which was to connect us this seems to be much more like a sort of youtube type video entertainment system these Video entertainment for people with very short attention spans. Let's put it that way. It, it has obviously caught the imagination, and there are social aspects to it, but it's not really following the same purpose that the original networks did. What, what do you think? Oh, I think those are some great points. I think you know there, as you said, there are some social components of it: the ability to share content, obviously, and to message each other directly. But it does seem like that's not the primary goal of 
the platform. I don't think there are many people who pick up their phone and say, I want to connect with others, so I'm going to open TikTok. I may be wrong, but the people who I know, at least, and this is sort of across a number of different age groups, that's not what they're consciously telling themselves. It seems to be more about sort of wasting time and connecting with people might be a benefit, but it's not necessarily the driving force. Yeah, that I think that's right. For me, it is, it's a network, but it's not really social. In fact, it seems to be mostly antisocial. You, you see a lot of people sitting on their own just watching these little video clips or more often you know sliding through things that they're not interested in until they find that little nugget of gold that they that they are interested in but people are spending an absolutely horrendous amount of time i read this week that people in the uk spend 27.3 hours on tiktok a month that's more than a full day on tiktok on your own just watching these little video clips. You know, that is not sociable in any way, shape, or form, is it? No, I think that's I think that's definitely true. Even if you're sharing that content later on, the primary purpose isn't to connect directly. Even so, so primarily video hosting service, absolutely, but it does meet the definition we've borrowed for what a social yeah. network <laughs> is. <laughs> so hope you enjoyed all of that. Also Ignore it now because TikTok allows users to construct a public profile within a bounded system. It articulates a list of other users with whom users share a connection and users can view and traverse their list of connections and those made by others in the system. To put it simply, the ability to engage with other users, even if not the primary objective of the platform, is central enough to both the purpose and actual use that it makes sense to think of TikTok as a social network even if loosely or sort of on the periphery of social networks. And it's generally treated as such by users, competitors, and regulators. So it's helpful to, to sort of be consistent with, with those groups of people, especially because that's who we're really looking towards today. A few fun, fast stats. TikTok has been downloaded 3.5 billion times. It's only the fifth app to accomplish this. And it's the first non-meta app. During COVID, they saw a growth rate of 180% among 15 to 25-year-olds. Wow. I mean, let's be honest, we would be happy to see growth in uh, in Bright when it launches anywhere close. Like a tenth of that in the beginning would be pretty happy. We'd be pretty happy. It's impressive, 180%. It's incredible. Wow. It, it really is. And you can't argue um, with it. No, no, you, you can't. I mean, I mean, you can because, you know, <laughs> it's the source of me. It's, it's the social media equivalent of Kentucky Fried Chicken, which is also very popular, but not necessarily very good for you. But, you know, it is interesting that this this app is the first one to really challenge Meta. I mean, I, I actually didn't know that until I until we were prepping for this, that it was, you know, the first non-Meta app to be downloaded that many times. But it does sort of make sense, I think. Yeah, it, but it's that's that's a scary statistic, isn't it? Three point five billion people spending, you know, up to a, a day a month on this uh, on this app. I mean, and and it makes sense because we also saw that the average user opened this nineteen times a day. I not I've I've rarely used it. 
um, because of the security concerns, I've not had it on my I've not had it on my phone. I put it, I, I downloaded it, tried it, and you know, as we'll talk about in a minute, I can watch most of the content that they produce on on Instagram. But uh, but yeah, children are spending what is it seventy five minutes a day doing this, which is let's face it, for most children probably more time than they spend doing homework. Yes, and 19 times a day, I'm struggling to think of anything that I do 19 times in a single day. It really is, you know, even if even if that 75 minutes is really broken up, it it starts to add up and and it raises a lot of questions about attention spans and some other longer-term effects. But it's it's having a tremendous amount of change. Um it's creating a lot of a lot of change anyway, partially because more than other apps, users of TikTok struggle to distinguish between advertising and other content. So nearly 15% of TikTok users struggle to say whether something is an advertisement or other content. So to tell the difference, that explains a lot about why brands are scrambling to make TikTok work for them. So especially taken together, 3.5 billion downloads, 19 times a day, 75 minutes per day. And by the way, 15% of people using the platform don't know if you're trying to sell them something. Yeah, I mean, that's actually pretty scary, right? And the it's obviously in the interest of the advertisers to make it more and more difficult to know whether you're advertising something to them because you're going to be much more tolerant of it. I mean... Obviously, we spend a lot of time looking at online social media statistics and, and whatever, and, and you see all the time now advice to advertisers about how to optimize their TikTok performance, almost to the exclusion of any other platform. Possibly that's because it is relative, still relatively new and people aren't, most businesses are haven't quite optimized their approach to TikTok, whereas for Meta, they, they maybe they have. But it is really startling. Um, everything I've looked back looked at in the last three weeks, it's been focused on how to 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 sell things on TikTok. And why wouldn't you? Seventy five minutes of, of attention a day. I probably, you know, back in the day used to spend more time watching children's TV than that a day, but not a lot. Because between coming home from school, doing homework and eating, there wasn't a lot more free time. Yeah. That is quite scary. It is. And it's only one of several apps. I mean, I think there are very few young people who only use TikTok. It may be where they spend the most time or the thing that they open the most number of times. But I would guess, and I don't have stats, so I shouldn't speculate, but I would guess that people who really use Snapchat seriously probably open it a similar number of times. And and similar for Instagram, Facebook, and, and some of the other platforms. Um, but but my guess would be that for those people who use TikTok and who are opening it 19 times plus per day, it's probably not the only app they're they're clicking through. No, I mean I, I'm sure that's true. I think the if you look at the average now, it's something like 7.9 social media apps per person on their phone at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean that spans everything from YouTube through to TikTok through to, to Facebook. And a lot has been made in the media about Facebook losing the young demographic. And certainly, you know, I, I hear my daughters complaining about that, you know, that it's a bit boring, whatever. But if you look at the stats, there are a vast number 
of people in the 15 to 30 year old age group that are that are using using Facebook globally possibly not in North America and uh, in the UK and Western Europe as much as they used to but Facebook has no demographic problem globally in that uh, in the age demographic so people are obviously not just using this it is Snapchat it's Discord it's YouTube it's um, Instagram and maybe Twitter or X I can't call it X it's such a <laughs> stupid name. So, you know, that all of these things people would be would be using, right? Maybe it's true that you know, Discord is sometimes used for schoolwork. But I suspect it's more often used to talk about games and, you know, other things that are more interesting. So yeah, it's this is seventy-five minutes on one platform, nineteen times a day, times potentially seven point nine social media platforms. This is why the Royal Society for Public Health in the UK labels um, social media as a major cause of sleep deprivation in, in teens and young adults because they are doing this until two and three o'clock in the morning. And I know in my house that my uh, my youngest is often up until three o'clock in the morning watching TikTok. But because she's a graduate student, it's okay because she doesn't actually have to get up and get to doing things until 10. But that's not that's not real life for most people. So Sleep deprivation is a major long-term health hazard as well. There are, there are real impacts of this, not just on your mental health, but also your physical health. Yeah, absolutely. And and brands have really taken advantage of this and sort of jumped in. And you, I mean, you can't really blame them in a way. I mean, we can, as you said, and, and we do. But anytime you see this sort of growth and attention, it makes sense logically that brands would respond and would create content specifically suited to this platform. And although we're, we're talking about this next, so I'm skipping ahead a little bit, the fact that other platforms have added in features that allow that same content to be shared then across multiple platforms really means that a lot of marketing agencies have done big pushes in, in content for TikTok. I mean, I can't remember the last time I went a week without somebody, you know, hitting me up on LinkedIn or email offering to create TikTok content for us. It's just become so, you know, so common. It's a thing that everybody's looking for and everybody's all of a sudden an expert in in doing. And so we saw we saw consumer explosion, downloads, growth, brands respond sort of add some fuel to that fire because some of the content they're creating is actually really good. Unsurprising then that we've seen the second change, which is how other social networks have changed because of TikTok. And again, given the impact TikTok had on consumers and brands, it's probably not so surprising. Luckily for us, Forbes has set out this really great timeline to remind us which social media platforms borrowed which features and when. <laughs> that was nice of them, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. It made, this, it made preparing for this so much easier. Thanks, Forbes. Yeah, so the, the 5th of August 2020, Instagram introduced Reels right after TikTok's initial explosion in popularity. And I don't know. I mean, I, I do. I am on, um, as you know, because I send you things from Instagram. <laughs> I saw a, a sort of thing on Instagram that said that sending people reels is uh, their somebody's love language, and I thought, oh, I recognise myself in that. But yeah, so re, re, if you, it's difficult to find a reel that wasn't previously made and distributed on TikTok. 
I, I'm sure there are people who make reels specifically for Instagram, but I, it seems to me that they are in the m minority of people because whenever I see something really cool that I think my youngest daughter would like, she's like, oh, yeah, I saw that on TikTok weeks ago. So it, that's, that is the reality, right? I'm obviously behind the times because I refuse to have TikTok on my phone. I'm not sorry. Um, <laughs> just the way it is. And, and you know, reels and, reels and uh, TikToks overlap. I, I, I mean, I, I think if we drew a Venn diagram, we'd probably get something like 95% overlap. I think it's probably the most famous example of another social media network taking something from TikTok and making it huge. I I read something from from the head of Instagram a, a little bit defensively saying, "Well, it's only natural. The world is moving towards videos, and so of course we'd adapt something that allows people to to share these videos." And um, on the one hand, you can sort of say, "Okay, that makes sense," but it it wasn't their original idea, and it was so similar to TikTok that it's it's hard to argue that it was sort of a, a unique take on what they were doing. I mean, i i would I would suggest that it's impossible to argue that it's a unique take. And, and you know, whilst it's true that people are moving, you know, people like videos. People have always like videos. YouTube exists because people like videos. But you know, we we, we talked to a lot of people at different meetings last year and. People also like seeing photos. And one of the comments that they made to us was that they don't see their friends' content on Instagram or Facebook anymore. They don't see photos. What they see are these constant streams of, of videos, most of which are, you know, adverts of one kind or another. Because Instagram does a, a rather worse job at hiding the fact that they're um, advertisements, I think. So, yeah, whilst... Instagram might say that. I think talking to users, there's a lot of interest in actually seeing the things which they joined up for those platforms in the beginning, which is, you know, maybe it's a really nice lunch that somebody was had and wanted to share, whatever you do on Instagram. But those photos are disappearing more and more and more. They, they need to get rid of the little, you know, camera icon that they have and have a video camera or perhaps just, you know, a little TikTok logo on it. Do you think people would know what the video camera symbol meant? No, I mean, I'm showing my age, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> you know, who uses a camera anymore? We talked about this previously, but back in the day, you you know, you had to take photos with a camera and then upload them to whatever online platform you're doing. This is why video sh photo sharing on Facebook took a while to take off. It didn't really take off until after the emergence of the smartphone. I don't know what they do, but it's certainly not an instant camera type thing, right? And that's what they were obviously they were borrowing that logo from the the Polaroid instant camera. That's why those little pictures were square to begin with, right? So, mm. um, but it's not that's not it anymore. And it is interesting that the you know anything written has disappeared. People's pictures have disappeared. It's got to be in the video or it doesn't exist. Um, so it's not photos or it didn't happen. It's videos or it doesn't exist now. And yes. um, I don't think that's great for us. Because there are people we need, particularly kids in that age group, they need to be able to do things like read occasionally. Not everything that they ever want to know is going to be delivered by video, I hope. Christ, that'd be awful. <laughs> well, I mean, to your point, that's, that's you know, we had sort of a chance to find out because in September of that same year, India banned TikTok. So YouTube responded by releasing its own algorithmic video sharing feature and they called it YouTube Shorts. It didn't launch globally until 2021, but it was it was in India first and this was 
a direct response to TikTok not being available. And to your point about people wanting video and wanting that that kind of content, there was an opening and YouTube snapped it up. Yeah. I mean, you can't blame them. It's what, a 1.4 billion person market just in India alone. I mean, that would make it a super app. If they didn't launch it anywhere else, it would be you know, unforgivable not to. But... You know, YouTube it is interesting that YouTube was is one of the still one of the biggest platforms in the world. It's run obviously by Google, and you know you've got a lot of there's a lot of there's billions of items of content on there. But they still felt that they, in order to be competitive and you know maintain their position, they had to compete with TikTok or replace TikTok in the case of India. I guess it does make you wonder what it is about this format which really plays with people's brains that makes them so keen to keep watching. And I mean, we we can talk a little bit about that maybe in a minute. But what happened next? Uh, Well, Snapchat also understood this. So again, in 2020, this was late November, they launched Spotlight, which was a TikTok-like algorithm-based vertical video sharing feed. And then we have a little bit of a gap. But then again, this year, we saw Twitter split users' timelines. So, you know, you know, you had the following in the For You, um, which is a borrowed TikTok feature. And also earlier this year, Spotify announced a redesign of its homepage. So all of these things, you know, you can say they were inspired by TikTok or they were borrowed from TikTok or they were stolen from TikTok, but the result is the same. These platforms have changed in important and fundamental ways directly in response to TikTok's popularity with consumers and brands. Yeah. And you would look at that list and you would think, well, some of those, you wouldn't think there was any reason why they would need to. I mean, Snapchat, we all know why Snapchat started. It was like the photos that would disappear. So you could send things that you were worried about people being able to keep, right? That was that was it. And Spotify, largest music app in the world, isn't it? You know, it's interesting that they felt that they needed to redesign their user interface to closer match something, which is an entirely different type of platform. Yeah. It, it really is. Now, I mean, I mentioned earlier that, that, that this algorithm that they have in, in TikTok um, is is potentially problematic. And, you know, you do have this feed. Now, what it does do, which is very clever, is that everybody sees, every video is uploaded is sent out to someone. So there's the that is distributed very widely and and so there's a lot of opportunity for things to go viral and i and I, I, I think that has been one of the good things about this that if you if you do produce something which is really good then there's tremendous opportunity from nowhere to have a viral video and make your name but the the problem is the the problematic part of the algorithm is that you see a lot of stuff which you're not genuinely excited about and will scroll through and then you see something great and this is exact this taps into exactly the same type of psychology that slot machines use to keep gamblers sitting at the slot machine. This intermittent reward taps into something fundamental in the human brain. And so it's not, and that's not accidental. This is deliberately done to keep you on the platform and keep you addicted. And that, I think, is a, a huge problem. And the fact that it's now being adopted across the industry with these for you pages makes it, you know, highly problematic. You know, maybe we'll talk about in another episode the the challenges with this, but it tends to around political and social issues create massive echo chambers where you start to believe that the only viewpoint in the world is the one that you agree with, and that in order to get shares, then 
and likes, people produce more and more extreme content. So not only do you get an echo chamber, but it becomes more extreme. This was already happening. And whereas they've introduced these changes, it seems only likely that it will make it worse. I think that's a fair concern. It, none of these features were designed to solve the issues with existing social media platforms. That wasn't the purpose. The purpose was to create a new way of sharing and producing content and to get eyes on screens. Um, we can talk about what other motivations might have been at play here at another episode, but I think that's a nice segue into our third, our third major piece of this, which is how TikTok has changed how social platforms are regulated. We've looked at how TikTok has changed other socials and how it's impacted consumers and brands. But it's also really important to think about this piece of the puzzle. This is a really interesting area because regulators globally have largely been hands-off social media, even after uh, Cambridge Analytica, you know, other debacles, teen deaths, suicides. All of these things have happened and have been laid fairly and squarely at the, the feet of social media. You know, the, the, the Rohingya population has sued Facebook for a staggering amount of money because they felt that they were complicit in the in the in the um, ethnic cleansing and genocide in Myanmar. All of these things have been happening, and regulators haven't really got involved. And, and can you name a single industry that has this type of impact on people's lives, where particularly, you know, the U.S. government and the EU have decided that they well, let's just let this play out and see what happens. No, absolutely not. I mean, any other industry that had this kind of influence, danger, risk associated with, certainly within a decade, you would have seen some some major efforts to rein it in. And I don't know if it's because of the link to free speech or freedom of expression that, that we've seen this sort of hesitation. Um, I think that must explain some of it. But it really is unique because of that. And this is, you know, a particular concern of mine because it is just so unusual and and problematic. The the result of this has been literally deaths. I mean, teenagers have died, young people have died, and probably unnecessarily. If regulators had been on board earlier, it it may have been avoidable, some of some of them at least. And TikTok was different from the beginning, and, and we can talk about why and links to China and things like that, but Meta in particular understood early that TikTok was different, and they spent a lot of money making that point for the benefit of consumers and regulators alike. The Washington Post broke the story last year about their hiring of a GOP firm, Targeted Victory. Do you remember this? They were hired to push local operatives to boost messaging about TikTok being a threat to American children. And there's this whole narrative. There were some leaked emails. It was a whole, a whole story. And Meta did comment, and they sort of admitted to some of it, but sort of were like, yes, we hired them, but that's okay. This is what we do sort of thing. I'm paraphrasing, so please don't sue me. Um, we have lobbying groups in Washington and Brussels. Sort of that was the general thrust, right? We This is something we do. Yes. And in fact, they can't avoid it because some of this is a matter of public record. So, so it's worth noting here that Meta on the record, so what we know about, 
what is what is documented. In 2022 alone, Meta spent more than $21 million in the U.S., not globally, so this is just the U.S., on lobbying efforts. So their influence and willingness and ability to put their thumbs on the scales is not insignificant. That's a lot of money to throw at a problem. It is a lot of money to throw at a problem. And now we're not they're not spending, what was it, $31 billion on developing the metaverse. They're going to have significantly more money to spend on this problem. And let's not forget, they have an absolutely enormous audience through their, well, Facebook, Instagram, Threads, WhatsApp, and Facebook Messenger, in which to, to spread this message not just to politicians, although they can obviously find and target politicians and their staffers, but, but to everybody. And that's an audience which TikTok would struggle to compete with. Even now, that's a lot of people across a lot of platforms. Yeah, it really is. I mean, to be fair, TikTok, you know, it really it really is different, right? Um, and we'll, we're going to talk about uh, that in detail, I think, in, an, in another episode. But it is really difficult for Meta to argue that they are trying to protect our children and are trying to persuade U.S. lawmakers that they need to do that, given their track record and given, particularly in the U.K., that their health lead said that they felt that the content that poor Molly Russell was exposed to, which was so abhorrent that the, the coroner in that case had to think about whether he wanted to show it to the jury. She said that was it was perfectly healthy for a 14-year-old to be exposed to that content. That's the level of judgment which is being shown by Meta. So pointing the finger and throwing stones if you're living in that particular glass house at, at, at TikTok seems a bit much, doesn't it? It doesn't paint the best picture. <laughs> that is a beautiful answer. <laughs> it's not a Picasso, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I've been in this country a while now. I've picked up on you know a few subtle things like this is interesting. It doesn't paint the best picture, I think. So to Americans listening, this is complete nonsense. No, that still came out English. I think though we'll keep this, you know, okay for under 18. So I'll leave it there. But yeah. it is it is nonsense. So just to break this down a little bit. Meta spent a small fortune, I would argue a large fortune, convincing the public and regulators, directly and indirectly, to turn their attention to TikTok. Danger, children, houses on fire sort of approach. But I don't think they fully appreciated, whether that's because they got some bad legal advice, some bad strategic advice, or they're all just so fully immersed in their big social bubble, they didn't understand how the world works. Government doesn't work that way, and it couldn't even if it wanted to. It's not a precision knife. It is much more of a blunt object. So once their attention has been turned, and it was turned, and focused in the direction of big social, TikTok is far from the only target. And consumers are catching on to all this too. In the last year, we've seen way more conversations about this than our first year doing this, or even our second year doing this. Every year, awareness rises in, in really serious ways. A lot of the concerns that Meta has flagged about TikTok also apply to Meta. Whether you're thinking about privacy, mis- and disinformation, abuse and harassment, or the mental health risks, all these things, and some are higher, some are lower, but they're really concerns about 
many of Meta's platforms in the same way they are about TikTok. Absolutely 100% right. If the government does start to target a specific member of the industry, then that's clearly something which they can sue for. So they, you know, you're right. Obviously, they have to pick it and make it a level playing field. So, I mean, it would amuse me no end if Meta was to sort of have been the, the cause of its own regulation. And I firmly believe there needs to be regulation, as, as do you. So in our next series, we'll investigate the rise and fall of social media empires from AOL and AIM to MySpace, Gchat, Clubhouse, whatever happened to Clubhouse, and arguably Meta and Twitter. We'll look back at how those networks started, how they reached the lofty heights that they got to, and their eventual or probable decline. Ooh, probable decline. That sounds ominous. I, I like that. In the meantime, we'll post a transcript of this episode with references on our website. You can find this and more information about us at thebrightapp.com. And if you'd like to take a deeper dive into the history of social media, check out our previous episodes. Until next time, I'm Stephen Jones. And I'm Taryn Ward. Thank you for joining us for Breaking the Feed, social media beyond the headlines. Beyond the headlines.